Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Hello and welcome to episode 286 of the multi-non-award winning UK True Crime Podcast. I'm Adam. Thanks for joining me this week for today's episode, which comes from Leicestershire. The podcast today is sponsored by Noom. If you're looking for better, healthier weight loss that starts in the mind, you need to look at Noom's psychology-based approach. Instead of demanding a new lifestyle, Noom helps you understand your mind and body, which provides you with the long-term results that we're all looking for. I certainly am. One aspect of this for me was as simple as not food shopping when hungry as it was leading to me making some very poor choices and then balancing those choices with short-term fads. I recall a soup diet once. It really wasn't a great idea. Since using Noom, I have a totally different approach to food. Just because I eat something unhealthy during the day doesn't mean I blow my whole day by making further bad choices. And I know that nothing is off limits. This gives me much more control over my food life. And as Noom only takes 10 minutes of my day, it's super easy to build into my routine and yours, however busy you are. This is to me a clear reason why 80% of Noom users finish the program and over 60% have stuck with their goals for at least a year. So lose the weight for good. Sign up for your trial at noom.com slash UKTCPod. That's N-O-O-M dot com slash UKTCPod. So before we begin, let's quickly set some context for today's story with our guest the month and year game. Gangnam Style, was it number three in the UK charts? Yep, you have danced to it. We both know it. It doesn't matter how many drinks you'd had. You still dance to Gangnam Style. In the US, the top spot was pink with Blow Me, brackets, one more kiss, close brackets. And in Australia, it was pink again with the truth about love. In the news this month, 36 people were killed in a ferry collision in Hong Kong. 25,000 people in Athens protested against German Chancellor Angela Merkel. Lance Armstrong lost a host of endorsements in the wake of his doping scandal. And in the UK, the latest James Bond film Skyfall premiered at the Royal Abbott Hall. Did you think much of that one? And Britain's first 4G mobile network was launched, offering high-speed mobile data services in 11 major cities. So did you guess the month and year? It was October 2012. Okay, so let's get on with today's story from Leicester. A city in the East Midlands, around 110 miles northwest of London, probably most famous as somewhere you drive past on the motorway when going somewhere else. It's famous for Gary Lineker, Walker's Crisps and Steve Percival. Sally lived just to the east of Leicester city centre. 
She'd been with the same recycling company since 18, straight out of school. She started as a secretary, she did well, and progressed to PA to the MD. The MD was so impressed with her that when he stepped down, he handed over the reins of MD to Sally. And by the late 90s, Sally's career was flourishing. She had two lovely daughters, but her marriage had ended in divorce and Sally was now ready to meet a new special person. Her former MD was a pilot in his spare time, and from the local plane club, if that's what you call them, he knew of someone just a little older than Sally, who was a successful and nice man, and he introduced Sally to this person. This was Ian Lawrence. Ian, who had never married, was originally an electronics engineer, but he'd always been a keen pilot in his spare time. And for him, the dream came true when his hobby became a career, when he took a position as a pilot for a commercial airline. He was immediately smitten with Sally. And why wouldn't he be? She was great. She was attractive, always smiling. And she always took a positive outlook on life, whatever was going on. Plus, she was financially secure, lots of interests, and she thoroughly enjoyed her high-flying career. Sally quickly fell for Ian too, and just three years later, in 2000, the two were married in a very lavish ceremony in a church in Leicester, with 250 guests, and there was no money spared. There was at least £15,000 of fireworks to entertain the guests. But why not? Both were progressing well in their careers, and wanted their guests to have a fantastic day. After they were married, the following years appeared to be very happy ones for the couple. Well, as happy as any of us looking on relationships from the outside can judge. And they had a son, William, who joined the family along with their daughters, Jessica and Rosie, from a previous relationship of Sally's. They had their ups and downs like all families, but everything seemed to be going well. But then in 2007, there was a major problem. Ian lost his job as a pilot and he was devastated, really devastated. Ian had an ego and to have this job that he absolutely loved taken away from him had a really bad effect on him. He had some money spare and so he got involved in a number of businesses with a partner, including a trailer rental firm, a fireworks business and a go-kart track. But it wasn't for him like being a pilot. He didn't adore it, and also, frankly, it didn't give him the recognition that he'd received in his previous work, and his mood continued to drop. Again, it's hard to say for sure what goes on in somebody else's relationship, but it is likely he began to resent his incredibly successful wife. What is clear is that Sally confided in friends that the couple were going through a very testing, a challenging period and that she was finding Ian very difficult to deal with. She even told how his attitude to her sometimes frightened her, and she was worried that he may even hurt her. Ian and Sally now slept in separate rooms, and were living increasingly separate lives, although in the same house. Sally was a strong, independent woman, and she didn't want to spend the rest of her life like this. She wanted to be free and have a new, loving relationship with someone that she could happily spend the rest of her life with. 
that this wasn't part of Ian's plans. He didn't want to split up at all. He adored Sally and he wanted their life to be together and he even took her on holiday to the Maldives to try to reconcile the marriage. But to no avail. In 2012, Sally filed for divorce. She owned the house in which the family lived, but she was fair and she was happy for an equal split of their assets, so both she and Ian could move on with their lives. Ian wasn't happy with this. He wasn't happy with it at all. He became more abusive to Sally, making very clear to her that he was not at all impressed with this financial settlement and he wanted more. And once Sally thought she'd agreed a very good settlement for Ian, giving him much more money for the house sale than was fair, he at first agreed. But then just days before it was due to happen, Ian demanded more. Sally said no, and she told her friends and daughters how he was being unreasonable, bullying, and how even at this late stage, he kept trying to persuade her that they could make this marriage work and be happy. Sally made it very clear to Ian that she didn't want this. And unbeknown to Ian, Sally had started to see someone else. The couple were still living together in this unhappy and increasingly fraught and emotional state in the same house as Ian's behaviour continued to deteriorate. Sally told friends she was genuinely scared that her husband was going to hurt her and when she went to bed she would lock herself in the bedroom. She told another friend that she feared her calm and cold husband would try to kill her. She said she could see evil in his eyes. And the clock was ticking as they both waited for the divorce to come through, which was due to be done on Monday the 8th of October 2012. On the Saturday before the divorce was finalised, Saturday the 6th of October, Sally planned to head off for the weekend to see friends in Derbyshire. She'd packed an overnight bag and with her handbag, and at about 5.30pm that Saturday evening, she placed them on the back seat of her new Jaguar car. But Sally never got in her car and drove away for the weekend. For some reason, she got into Ian's car, a maroon Peugeot 406 estate. It was a bit battered, with the personalised number plate Windy a nod to his time as a pilot, and also it was a nickname for him among his friends at the plane club. Her friends and daughters are not sure why she got into his car, as it was frankly, like I said, a bit of a dump, full of rubbish, packets and so on, the complete opposite to Sally's own car, which like her was always impeccable and well kept. Was she forced into the car, or did Ian find some way to trick her into getting in? When they left their home, Ian headed away, with Sally in the passenger seat towards the airport. As he drove along Gartree Road in Oatby, Ian's car collided square on with a large tree at the side of the road, completely crumpling the front of the car. The first witnesses on the scene were a retired policeman and a retired firefighter. They scrambled to help, but they couldn't open the doors due to the damage to the vehicle that they could see clearly that 47-year-old Sally had been killed in the crash. On that Saturday night, just before the start of the rest of her life, 
Sally had died in that car driven by her soon-to-be ex-husband, Ian Lawrence. The emergency services were on the scene and cut both occupants out of the car. The news on Ian was he'd survived the crash but was drifting in and out of consciousness and seemed to be exhibiting some signs of trauma. But except for some bruising, it seemed he had had a lucky escape and had emerged unhurt physically. Ian was taken to hospital. But for the experts at the scene, immediately there were questions around just what had happened. Police were called due to the concerns of one of the crash scene investigators, as no tread marks on the road could be found, suggesting that the car hadn't slowed down for it hit a tree. The retired firefighter at the scene was also concerned. He told police that he didn't believe that Ian was as injured as he tried to make out, saying it was as if a child was squeezing his eyes shut, pretending to be asleep. He was squeezing, but his eye was twitching. As police and crime scene investigators continued to look at the scene, a nurse at the hospital also called the police later that evening to say she was not comfortable with Ian either. She'd been treating him and she too was concerned that he was nowhere near as badly injured as he was making out. Back at the scene, crash scene investigators were puzzled. The conditions that evening were excellent, there was no rain. There seemed no reason why the car would have come off the road and hit the tree. It was estimated that the bend where Ian crashed was not a bad one, and could have been taken safely at about 70 miles an hour by your average car and your average driver. Ian was estimated to have been travelling at about 50 miles an hour when he crashed. And there were no signs on the road that the car had braked at all. No signs of the driver trying to stop. Experts from Peugeot in France came over to the UK to examine the car and they were soon able to say for certain that Ian had not applied the brakes at any time. Why not? It makes no sense. Why had he not stopped? or at least to have tried to have stopped to avoid the impact. Had Ian done this deliberately? Had he crashed his car deliberately? There were other concerning factors about the crash. Detectives could see that Ian had been wearing his seatbelt, but Sally hadn't. This was most unlike Sally, who was incredibly safety conscious and always wore a seatbelt before she got into a car. And also Ian's airbag had deployed and Sally's had not. Had it been disabled intentionally? By 4am on the day after the crash, detectives believed they'd enough information about what had happened to arrest Ian in hospital on suspicion of the murder of his wife. As the investigation continued, detectives spoke to the family and friends of Sally to understand just what was going on with the couple before the crash. From here, it was clear that jealousy was a major motive for why Ian may have wanted Sally dead. But there was another motive. Money. As Sally had died before the divorce was finalised, Ian was going to benefit from Sally's death financially. He would keep all of her home, worth around 300k, and Sally also had life insurance, which would have been worth around another 300k to Ian. When interviewed in hospital, Ian said he recalled nothing about the incident. 
but detectives weren't surprised. They expected nothing less as by providing this as a defence, there was less chance of becoming tangled in untruths and lies. Meanwhile, experts from Peugeot made another big discovery. They could say for certain that someone had intentionally disabled the passenger seat airbag. So it wasn't faulty, there wasn't an error. They could show that somebody had disabled it in a deliberate action. This really bolstered the police case and the crime prosecution gave them the go-ahead to charge Ian with the murder of Sally. At his trial, Ian continued to deny murder, saying he could remember nothing about what happened. He did speak about his time with Sally. He said, I first met Sally in 1993. We started going out in 1997 and married three years later. The first part of our marriage was very happy. We were soulmates. We were made for each other. Good friends and lovers. He admitted that his marriage started to deteriorate after he stopped working as a pilot in 2007. But he told the jury they'd never had heated arguments and they discussed everything, including dividing up their finances without, he said, any anger. His defence barrister, Mark Wall QC, asked him, Did you ever use violence against Sally? Never, he replied. He was then asked, Did you ever threaten Sally? Never, he replied again. He told how he didn't want a divorce and took his wife on holiday to try to get back on track. But he added it was an unsuccessful holiday and he realised the marriage was finally over when Sally filed for divorce. The jury heard that he'd purposefully careered off a bend on a quiet country road and into a tree at more than 50 miles an hour after the passenger airbag had been disabled. Then in the moments before the car stuck the tree, it was said that Ian had unclipped his wife's seatbelt. Meanwhile, he put himself into the brace position to prepare for impact. Ian Lawrence continued to deny this. He was in tears as he told the court, it was an accident, she's my wife. It was an accident. 53-year-old Ian Lawrence was found guilty of murdering his wife by a jury after a three-week trial. The jury of six men and six women took just over eight hours to convict him of murder by a majority verdict of 11 to 1. The judge sentenced him to life in prison with a minimum term of 24 years. Friends and family of Sally Lawrence cheered and shouted yes as the verdict was read out. Sentencing him, the judge said that Lawrence had disabled the passenger airbag in preparation for what he had planned to do. Calling it a vile crime, he said the defendant must have plotted the murder over days, if not weeks, in all its malevolent detail, and then executed it with ruthless efficiency. He told Lawrence, It's clear to me from the evidence that you had two motives for murdering Sally. One was that you could not and would not accept your marriage was over and were determined that Sally would never leave you. Your other motive was financial gain. You refused to accept that Sally should have the money from the house although you had been advised it was her due. You must have singled out the spot on the Gartree Road, a road you knew well, as a place that suited your purpose. 
a large tree with clear ground in front of it on a gentle bend in the road. How you got Sally into your car and whether by trickery or force, no one but you can know. I suspect it was a combination of the two. However you achieved it. She cannot have imagined what you were planning to do next. You aimed so that the passenger side of the car struck the tree and bore the full brunt of the collision. You thought the crash would be seen as a tragic accident and that you could get away with murder. You would indeed have done so had it not been for the careful and thorough investigation carried out by the police. Detective Superintendent Neil Castle from Leicestershire Police said, This offence was premeditated and planned and was driven by jealousy and financial gain. These facts have influenced his substantial sentence. In cases like these, there is always more than one victim. Sally leaves behind a grieving family, including her two daughters, Jess and Rosie, and her son, William. Following the sentencing, Sally's sister, Catherine, said, Our family is here today because of the cruel, callous, evil and sickening act of murder against our beautiful Sally. On the day Sally died, a part of us died with her. Sally's murder was an act of pure evil. She was an inspirational, caring, kind young woman with a huge heart. She was so full of life. Losing her has been unbearable. Not a day goes by without her being in our thoughts. She's been taken from us at the most happiest point in her life and has been denied what was undoubtedly to be a very happy future. Ian Lawrence appealed against the conviction. He said he could now remember what had happened in the crash. It came to him in a dream in prison. It all came back to him. He said that moments before the crash he felt a twinge in his left leg, pins and needles, and then a numbness which came up all the way from his calf to his thigh. He described the sensation as a full-blown spasm or cramp, and this pain which he said he'd experienced before was absolute agony for him. He told the jury he gripped the steering wheel and his leg, which was stretched out, was, he said, straight out onto the accelerator. He said his wife shouted, look out, and the car crashed. And a psychiatrist, Dr Tina Richardson, said how Ian had told her that he did not deliberately crash his car into a tree, but it was a collision after the spasm. When asked why he didn't think about using his other foot to brake, he told Dr Richardson that he froze and panicked. Now, let's be honest, it's a bit of a pathetic excuse, even by some of the ones we hear on this podcast, and we hear some terrible excuses. For one, I'm not too sure how a leg spasm would have affected his ability to steer away from the tree. There was clear ground on either side. But anyway, it was found on appeal that the spasm would not have caused the crash and Lawrence remains in prison today. So what do you make of what we've heard today? How long had he been planning the murder? As he drove on that road to work every day, was he actually fantasising about killing Sally? Or did he not decide to actually go ahead with it until the day of the murder? We'll never know. But what we do know is that murder is often the ultimate way to control someone. And Lawrence could not have Sally, so he chose to exercise that control through murder. 
It was a cruel and cowardly thing to do. He had choices. He could have chosen to leave the relationship and thought of his son and his two stepchildren. How could he have chosen to kill the mum of those three children? I wonder if he was cruel enough to tell Sally what he planned to do when they were in the car, or was she aware just seconds before the impact? And what a way to choose to kill someone. Was it his experience as an airline pilot that had given him the idea, and then allowed him to make the calculation that by taking the steps he did, Sally would be killed and he would survive? But even if we assume this was the case, he must have known that this plan wasn't foolproof and there was a good chance that he would die or be seriously injured in the execution of his plan. But he was willing to sacrifice his own life to ensure that Sally wouldn't be able to live without him. As so often on this podcast, our hearts go out to Sally's friends and family. Sally was just 47 when she died with so much more to give and to live for. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this episode of the UK True Crime Podcast. To discuss this story or any other aspect of UK True Crime, please head to the Facebook group where almost 80,000 of us talk crime 24-7. Just head to Facebook and search UK True Crime. It is many things, but it's never dull. And to support the show, why wouldn't you? Join my community at Patreon. It's the place to be for bonus episodes, sometimes, and other exclusive content, including the chance to win backstage tickets for my forthcoming live show in Glasgow. It's a fun place to be and it keeps me recording a new free episode every week. So just head to patreon.com slash UKTrueCrime. So that's all for me for another week. Join me again on Tuesday for another story from the UK's 37th most popular UK true crime podcast, the only podcaster with the freedom of Rochdale and the only podcaster confident that the mighty Leeds United will avoid the drop. So on that somewhat... (laughs) So so on that... So on that bombshell, pushing the realms of possibility on so many levels, till we talk again on Tuesday next week, despite all the others, trust me, I know, please stay classy. Cheerio for now. You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? 
Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.